We are in a series now as a church this summer called Fruit of the Spirit. We are spending our whole summer in the book of Galatians chapter 5, where Paul, who was really one of the first pastors to the, the people who called themselves Christians, who called themselves Jesus followers, and they were figuring out what it looked like to be a Jesus follower. I think you and I are still figuring out what it looks like to be a Jesus follower, and so we can lean into the things that Paul writes. And in essence, what he says to them is you will know a tree by its fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit. People will know that you are a Jesus follower because the tree of the Spirit will grow inside of your life in such a way that fruit will be produced. And there are particular fruits that are produced by the Spirit. We find them in our theme verse for this series, which is Galatians 5, verse 22. If you've got a Bible, you feel free to be following along with me. Otherwise, verses will be up on the screen. But here's what it says. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to know, does anybody want more of that fruit in your life? Do you want more of that fruit in your life? Yes. I want more of that fruit in my life. And each week of this series, we have been looking at a part of this fruit. We have covered love. We have covered peace. I know that he is my husband, but I'm just going to tell you that Ryan gave, I think, one of the best messages that he's given in a long time last weekend on, on the fruit of peace. If you missed it, I would highly encourage you to go back and watch that one. But this week, we get to talk together about joy. Come on, I wore yellow. Joy. We get to talk about joy. I can't think of anything I would rather get to talk about than joy. And so as I bring that word up, I would love for you just to be thinking about a time in your life recently when you experienced joy. Maybe you experienced it in your own soul, or maybe you observed it in somebody else. You saw joy. You saw joy. I'll tell you, um, in my life, the most recent example, we have a five-year-old, and he all of a sudden just wants to be fishing all the time which is hilarious because Ryan and I know nothing about fishing. And so I've been taking him fishing because Ryan's off with the older boys at baseball. So I'm taking him fishing. And I'm learning how to get a bullhead off of a hook. Come on, Minnesota. Oh, these things are the grossest. But the epitome of joy is when Zachary throws his line in and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And then the fish, it bites and it gets to reel it in. And there's just joy. There's joy all over his face. I don't know what's bringing you joy lately or where you've seen joy lately. But I want to tell you that I have been thinking, pondering, meditating a lot on joy in my life recently. And I just want to bring you into that journey a little bit. We pastors here at Hosanna, we just really believe in living candid before you and just living our lives authentically before you. And so I'm just going to let you in into what's been going on in my life recently. Um, over the last six months to a year, I would tell you, if, if you don't know me and haven't been around me, or maybe you can tell after spending five minutes with me now, that I tend to be kind of a um, naturally wired up to be um, a, like an optimistic person, an energetic person maybe. If there's pessimism and, and optimism, I'm for sure on the optimism scale. This is how I'm just sort of naturally wired up. And we're all naturally wired up differently. You know, that's been true for me most of my life. But recently, in the last six months to a year, I have been experiencing something that has been new to me. And that is that I have just been going about my life, I've been raising my kids, I've been going to work, and I have been getting hit seemingly just kind of out of nowhere with waves of, the word that I've identified with it is melancholy. Just 
um, like, a, like an overwhelming sadness coming over me. And it's not attached to anything. It's not I'm sad about something. It's just like a, it's an overwhelming melancholy. And so um, it's, it had been catching me off guard. And I knew, like, there's, there's a secret inside of this. I'm supposed to pay attention to it. I'm supposed to lean in. What is going on with me in this melancholy? And in conversations with elders, which is always really important, and, um, and just my time with the Lord, here's what I discovered. I think it's really simple. Here's what's happening to me. I'm reaching middle age. <laughs> middle age is what it is. I turned 40 last summer. And thank you. And the, the celebration was exciting. The lead up to 40, I was fine with being 40. But I think that in, in, the, la, in the last months, what's been happening is that I've just sort of been sitting in this reality, like not even consciously, but even subconsciously, like my life is half over. My, the first half of my life is over. I have this second half to live, but my first half is over. And frankly, I just hadn't had time yet to think about that, to think about how fast everything was going. Because I think in the first half of our lives, and some of you are in it right now, so just believe me, in the first half of our lives, what's going on is we just have our heads down. I mean, we are, we are just getting through the thing. We are growing up, you know, we're children, we're figuring out what we're good at and what we're not, and then we have to take this SAT and this ACT and choose which college we're going to go to, and then we get to the college and we have to prove ourselves and we have to choose our major and we have to find our friends and then maybe look for our spouse. Oh, there's my spouse. Okay, now it's time to plan a wedding. And so we got this wedding and then we got to find our first apartment or our first house and we're going to have our first jobs and okay, but now I don't really like my job anymore, so I'm going to change my job and oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Okay, well, this is exciting. So now there's showers and there's the baby and there's all the things and then there's another job and we got to get a new house. And, and there's just this motor that kind of keeps you going until the point where your kids are like buckling their own seatbelts and pulling their own pants on. And it's like all of a sudden you can raise your head a little bit and look around and ask questions like, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Do I have joy? And what I'm doing. And so I'm pondering this and smack in the middle of it, of this season. It's May. It's probably snowing outside, you know. And, and our, our middle son came down with influenza A. You know, just one of those like, what? So he's got influenza A. He is so sick. And so he's home all week long, which means that mom is home all week long. And um, really, he was so sick. His fever was so high that really all he had energy to do was watch movies. And so the movie that came up in queue when I was sitting next to him on the couch was the movie Groundhog's Day. Have you seen this movie anytime recently? If you haven't seen it, you must. I will summarize it for you. You're welcome. Okay. This is the movie um, about Phil. He's played by by Bill Murray. And Phil is a weatherman. And he gets sent to a small town on the East Coast to report on the groundhog coming out of the ground and whether there's going to be spring or not, you know. And so he does that. And then he goes to bed. And the weirdest thing happens. He wakes up and he's living the same day over again. And then he goes to bed and he wakes up and he's living the same day over again. And I remembered this movie as being funny. And it is funny. And I told Pax it's really funny. But as I'm watching it, that melancholy is coming over me. And I'm like, that's how my life feels right now. That's how it feels. I wonder if your life feels a little bit like that right now, where you're, you're waking up and the details of the day change. They certainly do, but there's a routine to it all. You know, there's a getting up and there's a showering and, or maybe you worked out or maybe you didn't, I won't judge you. And, and then you drive to work and it's the same, it's the same road, you know, and it's the same desk and the same seat and it's the same colleagues. And, and, you know, maybe it's exciting, the things that you're doing, but then you go home and you got, oh, we got baseball practice, got to make the food, got to do the lunches for tomorrow. All the, there's just this routine about it, right? Like you're basically living the same day over again. And you watch Bill Murray or Phil in this movie 
go through all the emotions about that reality. He is, um, you know, of course, just at first really confused and thinks he's losing his mind. I feel that way sometimes. And, and then he starts to get angry about it. I mean, just, I got to get out of this. I can't. And, you know, and that's the essence of a midlife crisis right there. It's like, I've got to get out of this thing that I've been living inside of. And I have known some people to go off the rails at that point. You know, desperate to get out of this situation. I mean, he gets so desperate, he just doesn't even want to live anymore. But that's not an option for him. He keeps waking up. It's so funny. And so he wakes up. And what you get to see throughout the course of this movie, and by the end of it, I have tears streaming down my face. Because you get to see Phil discover what it is to live with what I think we would call joy. Because he gets to a point where he's like, I can't control the circumstances anymore. All I can control is how I feel about it. And he starts living lighter. He is loving people so abundantly. He's just giving his life away. He's laughing hard. He's enjoying his life so much that by the moment that he gets to wake up to a new day, he, he walks outside and he says, let's live here. Let's live here. I don't even care that it's all the same because he's discovered what it is to live with joy. And I'm watching this movie. I have tears just streaming down my face. I'm like, that's the journey I'm on. That's the journey I'm on right there. Joy. In the book of Galatians, in that list that I read just a moment ago of all the words that are the fruit of the Spirit, the word joy in there is the Greek word hara. C-H-A-R-A. Hara. And what hara means is a deep, abiding inner gladness. It's deep. Joy, when, you've actually, uh, when you actually are experiencing joy, it comes from a deep, deep place, like a fountain, you know, that starts way down here, and it's springing up, and it's feeding my life. It's deep. It's abiding. It takes you through all the circumstances. It takes you through the day when you catch the fish and when you lose the job, you know? I mean, it's, it's something that, that carries, and it's an inner gladness. It's not an external thing. This is how happiness and joy are different. Maybe you've heard this before, but this is a helpful designation for me. Happiness is based on external uh, circumstances, right? So really, Zachary catching a fish and being happy about it. That's really happy because in five minutes when he's not catching a fish, he won't be happy anymore, right? That's not abiding. That's the circumstantial happiness. Joy is an internal reality. It is a deep abiding fountain. And we want to live with joy. In the Bible, we were talking about it with the prayer team this morning. In the Bible, it says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Take that in. You are meant to live with an internal strength that is this fountain of joy. My little boy, Pax, he's in a baseball tournament this weekend, and I got to drive him there this morning, and on the way there, I I said, you know, I'm speaking this morning on joy, and Pax, I want to remind you, buddy, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, when you get up there to bat this morning, Pax, if you get up there with no joy, if you get up there with fear, if you get up there with trepidation, and I hope, you know, all those things that sneak up, you will not bat well. But if you get up there with the joy of the Lord as your strength, man, swing for the fences, You've got that strength inside of you. I think that every single one of us wants to live with joy. I think we want to. I know I want to. I really believe that when you and I get to the end of our lives, if we have the opportunity to be able to look back, I really think that one of the measures you and I will use when we think about our lives is, did I live with joy? Did I? 
You know, did I, did I choose joy? Did I live with joy? Or did I spend a whole lot of time with anger and pessimism and melancholy and pity and complaining? I really think we'll regret it if we look back and say, that's where I spent my time. I should have spent more time in joy. I should have spent more time in joy. I really think that we will want that. And so, of course, the question is how? How do we do this? How do we live with more joy? Do you want to? Show me in your faces that you want to. Okay, okay. We want to live with more joy. How? I think that the secret is absolutely in this passage out of Galatians. It's so simple, but it's so profound. Joy, we need to understand, is both a gift and a decision. Joy is a gift and a decision. Let's start talking about how joy first is a gift. It is absolutely, first and foremost, a gift. In that list, we we read in Galatians, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit that produces this fruit. All of the fruit, including joy, is a gift. In other words, joy is a noun. You can think about it as a noun. It's all over the Bible. It is a noun. Joy is something that we receive. We receive it from the Holy Spirit. Not by striving, not by, not by anything that we are doing. It's something that we are just given. I want to just tell you about um, when I first came to faith. I've shared this with you all before, but I've just remind you. My, my story is that I was 17 years old. It was the summer between my junior year and my senior year of high school. And I got invited to go to this camp. And I'd never been to a Christian camp like this before. And um, the speaker that week did what speakers do at Christian camps, just presented the gospel to this group of kids, you know. And so, he, you know, he talked about who Jesus was. And I was so drawn to Jesus. Do you feel drawn to Jesus? I mean, he's irresistible. Like, when you start hearing about who Jesus is, it's like, I need to know more about who that is. Because something in me tells me that's who I'm supposed to become. I'm supposed to become more like that. My soul knows that. So he tells me about, he tells the group about Jesus. He tells us about the cross. It's just, I'd heard that story before, but in that moment, it just broke my heart like it never had before. That Jesus died on the cross for me and for my sin. And I, you know, I cried through that. And then there was the night on the resurrection. And then the last night, he talks about this mystery, this great mystery that I can't even put into words because it is a mystery, but it's true that we are invited to, when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, We are invited to have his spirit come and dwell inside of us. That is such a mystery. It's amazing. But he said, you know, if you want the spirit of Christ to come dwell inside of you, would you just raise your hand and would you pray this prayer with me? And my hand just shot up in the air. I'm like, me, 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 me. I would like some of that. I would love to do that. And so I pray this prayer. You know, Jesus is so simple. I would love for you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender my days to you. I want to live for you. I want to be more like you. Teach me how to be more like you. I want your spirit to come and live inside of me. Amen. Tears streaming down my face. And I get home from that camp and that summer where I just, I felt like the Lord was just pursuing me all summer long. And I get back to, I get back to school and my friends are like, you are different. Like I'm still very much Jen. I'm Jen, but I'm different. I'm, I'm Jen with Jesus inside of me now. My parents noticed it. They were like, whoa, I think the fruit that my parents probably noticed first was the fruit of love. Like there was just this love about me that hadn't been there before. I know my brothers, what they noticed was like, wow, you are like way less mean than you were when you left for camp. <laughs> you're like way nicer to us. You know, you are, your words are kinder. You're, you're not beating us up so often, you know. And, and the, you know, that would be the fruit of kindness and gentleness. You know, I'm not conjuring it up. I'm not deciding. Like, I'm going to be nicer to my brothers now. No, that's not what it looked like. It was like I just was. I was just kinder. I was just gentler. 
But the fruit of the Spirit that I remember like experiencing for the, and, and just being amazed by it was the fruit of joy. It was, I mean, I, I think about it now. I'm getting chills on my arms as I'm thinking about it. I, it was like I felt like I had a rocket pack on. It's like, whoa, life is like way being lived up here now. I'm living, I'm seeing things differently. I mean, no joke, nature like had a, a glimmer to it and a shine to it. I felt like flowers were more beautiful and mountains were higher and I was just amazed by it all. Joy and people were that way for me too. You know, I went back to school. I saw my classmates in new ways. I saw people I'd never talked to. I'd never even noticed them before. But like joy is just springing up out of me. It's springing up out of me. And, and, and that's the fruit of joy. It's a gift. And that gift is a gift when we say, I surrender my life to you. It's also a gift for every believer all the time. You know, I think some of us, we, we think that the faucet gets turned off or something. No, no, no. That faucet is always wide open for us to receive the gifts of the Spirit, including joy. Joy is yours this morning. Joy also in the Bible, particularly, is a gift for going through hardship. It is a gift that is promised on the other side of going through something difficult. I was out on a run this week. I was thinking about this part of the message. I was thinking about how some of you are in a season like that. And I ran through this tunnel. And I paused, and I was like, I need to take a picture right here. And so I'm going to show you this picture. I'm going to show you this picture. This is where I was, and this is me thinking about you. I believe the Lord thinking about you. Some of you feel like this is your life right now. You are inside of a gauntlet. You are inside of a tunnel. And all that you can see is that there is light on the other side. And I really believe that the Lord led you here today to remind you that joy is yours on the other side of that tunnel. Joy is yours on the other side of that tunnel. Joy is a gift. Psalm 30 says it best. This is the psalmist who had just gone through something hard. And this is what he declares. You have turned my morning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and you have clothed me with joy. Do you hear the passivity in that? It's not, I decided to be more joyful. It is a, I, you did this for me. I was mourning and now I am dancing. I am dancing. I'm not just kind of happier now. I am dancing. And you did that for me, Lord. You did that for me. You took off my clothes of mourning and you gave me clothes of joy. He wants to do that for you. Jesus spoke about joy in very certain terms. In the uh, days before he was going to go to the cross, he spent a lot of time with his followers. And he spoke very directly to them about what was going to happen. He spoke directly to them about the fact that he was going to go and die and that he would be leaving soon. And they were very confused about it. But he did not mince words. He said, you are going to grieve. You're going to grieve deep in these next days. You are going to grieve. I'm grateful that Jesus talks about grieving, that he recognizes grieving, that he knows it for what it is. He uses a metaphor that is perfect for grieving. I love that Jesus was a man, but he talks straight up about childbirth. He talks about childbirth in this passage. He says, he says, grieving is a lot like childbirth. It's the most painful thing that you can ever imagine going through. Come on, somebody, women in the house. That's right. But on the other side of that pain is a baby. On the other side of that tunnel is joy, is joy. And nobody can take it from you. This is what he says. So you do have sorrow now. Some of you do. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you will rejoice. And nobody can rob you 
of that joy. Nobody can take it from you. Happiness, people can take from you. Anybody can take happiness. Circumstances can take happiness. Nobody can take your joy, especially when that joy comes from the other side of the tunnel, of making it through when the joy is yours. This verse um, comes out of Hebrews This one I didn't build into the message. This has just been, in in the last 24 hours, this has come just so clearly. That as I would love for you to bring up that picture of the tunnel again, if you wouldn't mind. This is um, Hebrews 12, verse 2. This is the the declaration of how we do this, how we live our lives with faith, how we live our, our lives with joy. It says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You see that tunnel, you see that light, that light is Jesus. You are going to do this. You are going to do this hard season by keeping your eyes on Jesus, keeping your eyes on the joy that is yours in Jesus Christ. It is yours. But now hear what it says about Jesus. Because of the joy awaiting him at the other end of that tunnel, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. I would love for us to think about Jesus on the cross the darkest night, but he had right in front of him joy. It was set before him. And do you know what that joy was? You and you and you and you and me. That was the joy set before him. And because of us, he went through it. There is joy on the other side of the tunnel. I believe that the Lord wanted to tell you that today. Joy is a gift. It is a gift to be received from the spirit of God. First and foremost, it is. And joy is also a choice. Say it with me. Joy is also a choice. Joy is a choice. In Galatians, after the list of all the things that we have in the Spirit, this is how it sums up how to, how to live this out, how to walk this out. This is Galatians uh, 5, verse 25. It says this, Since we are living by the Spirit, Since we have the gift of the Spirit, let us then follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Since we have it, let's do it. Since we've got the gift, let's open it. This is actually better translated, since we have the Spirit, let us walk with the Spirit. Do you hear how that implies motion? Do you hear how that implies decision? Like you can sit and receive something and not do a thing with it, or you can get up Pick up your feet and walk in it, brothers and sisters. Walk in the joy that is yours. Choose it. The author, uh, Paul, who wrote Galatians, also wrote Philippians to the people who are living in Philippi. And he talked to them about joy. And this is a verse that you maybe have heard. I want you to hear it again for the first time. This is Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. I love that he had to tell them twice. I love that he did. I'll tell you that in this season where I've been getting these these melancholy waves, he's had to tell me about 150 times. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Do you see how in the Bible, joy is a noun. It is something that I receive. It is also a verb. It is something that I do. It is something that I choose to do, to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice. Another scripture 
that sums this up, you might have heard it before, is this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. You and I have been given a day. You and I may not get tomorrow. So what are we going to do with today? Am I going to get up? This is the day that the Lord has made. So let me get up and be crabby and cynical and angry and pitied. No. Why would you do that? Why would you spend your day like that? Your day is a gift from the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad in it. And I know that this is easier said than done. I also know that there may be people in the room who are thinking, you don't know about my depression, and I want you to know I am not talking about depression. I would just shut that door right away. We are not talking about clinical. We are not talking about mental illness, things that you have no, no power over. I understand that. We are talking about the things that we do decide. And I just feel like the Lord really wanted me to say to you today, you do get to decide. And some of you are deciding. Make no mistake about it. You are deciding. You can decide between anger and pessimism and, and, uh, and, and hatred. And you can choose those things, but you are choosing them. They are not happening to you. Or you can open the gift that is yours, which is joy. You can. You can. You can move toward rejoicing. But it takes intention and it takes practice. And I had this thought as I was preparing this week, what better place to practice walking in the Spirit than in church? Come on, somebody. This is a great place to practice. This is a great place to practice. And so we are going to practice moving ourselves toward rejoicing. I want to tell you that as I have been pressing into joy and I've been reading books about it, I've just been paying attention to the practices the practices, the ways of walking, the ways of moving my feet that actually lead me to joy. And I'm just going to share with you today a really simple three-step process that has been working for me to move me toward joy in situations and out of my melancholy, a very simple three-step process. And they're they're going to go up on the screen. The three-step process is simply accept, reframe, rejoice. Accept, reframe, rejoice. Those are the steps, but I'm going to teach them to you by actually leading you through them. And so here's what I want you to do. It's not weird, okay? Everybody's cool with this. You're all going to close your eyes. Everybody at all the campuses, close your eyes. I would love for you to put your hands out in front of you as if you are holding something. Because inside of your hands, I would love for you to hold A situation, a person that you are not currently feeling joyful about. Ask the Lord to show you. Show me a situation that I want to move toward rejoicing in. The first step as you hold that situation in your hands is simply to accept what is. Sometimes we don't like to look at what is. I am middle-aged. Dang it. More serious things. Someone I love has cancer. My job is going to be cut. My house is falling apart. It just 
heard that on behalf of somebody. This relationship is broken. And as we hold that in our hands and we just are accepting what is, we also have to accept what is of how I really feel about this. Maybe all I've allowed myself to feel so far is angry. How I'm actually feeling is sad. How I'm actually feeling is scared. How I'm actually feeling is hurt. Sometimes we got to just sit with this one for a while. Accepting what is. Looking at it squarely. It is what it is. The next step in moving toward rejoicing is to reframe the situation that you are holding in your hands. You currently have a frame around this situation. I would love for you to picture it in your mind. Picture a frame around the situation that you are holding. That frame is made up of your feelings and your perspective and your brokenness. What we want to ask the Holy Spirit to do is to move the frame so that you can see this situation how he sees it. Holy Spirit, would you come? Move the frame. Show us how you see it. Show us what you're doing inside. Some of you, that frame just needs a little adjusting, maybe an inch or two. Some of you, it's like the Lord is taking that frame and moving it all the way to the background of the picture and showing it to you from a totally different direction. And again, this step can take time. You may need to do this later on in the week. I would encourage you to do it later on in the week. Reframe. And then the last step in this process is to choose to rejoice. It's a decision. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even this, yes, this, especially this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. You can open your eyes. I would love for you to pat your neighbor on the back and say, you did it. You did it. You just moved to rejoicing. Anybody grateful for the rejoicing that you have over the situations in your life? It's a beautiful thing. It's a simple thing. And I I love the picture. You know, every week of this series, we're saying as we talk about these virtues, as we talk about these gifts of the Spirit, now this week, go and live it. Go and walk it. Go and practice. And this week, you and I, we're going to come upon situations that make us crabby. We're going to come upon situations that offend us. We're going to come upon situations that we don't prefer. But you, brothers and sisters, have a choice. In that moment, accept what is. Ask the Lord to reframe it for you. And then choose, brothers and sisters, to rejoice. Joy is yours by the Holy Spirit. It is yours. May we close in prayer. Spirit of God, we know that in your presence, there is fullness of joy. We are in your presence now. 
So in this place is all the joy that we need. It is full. It is full. I pray that right now you would fill my brothers and sisters with your presence. You would flood them with your joy. I pray that this day, as they walk out of church, they would walk out different. They would walk out full of joy. I pray that the things around them would glow in a new way. I pray they would feel like they are living at a higher plane that they are seeing as you see. And I pray over the moments that these people have ahead of them this week where they will be tempted toward melancholy. They will be tempted toward so many things, pessimism and anger, Lord. In those moments, by your spirit, would you meet them and would you move them to rejoicing? We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.